Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Take your Bible, if you would. Let's go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah and chapter number uh, chapter number five. Nehemiah chapter number five this morning, and see if I can get uh, my notes here. Nehemiah chapter number five. This morning we are coming back into a, a series of messages that we've been going through in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we're doing Nehemiah on Sunday mornings. We're doing 2 Samuel on Sunday nights. Um, that song, uh, the uh, Jesus Thank You song that we sang about being somebody that was once an enemy now at the table of, of the king, uh, that's actually found in 2 Samuel, and that's where we're going to be in just a couple of weeks in 2 Samuel. But this morning on Sunday mornings, we've been in the book of Nehemiah. What an incredible journey we've had. Uh, it started, if you were here, you'll remember, uh, for those of you that maybe weren't here, we'll give you a quick recap. It started, of course, we, we met a young man by the name of, of Nehemiah. He was the king's cupbearer for Artaxerxes or, or Cyrus, the king of the media Persian Empire. And uh, of course, at this time, Nehemiah, uh, he was of Hebrew lineage. He was a, a Jew by, uh, uh, by birth, but he had never been to Jerusalem. He had never experienced that. He had never never been to uh, the holy city and never been to the land of his forefathers. Why? Because the people of Israel, they haven't had their own country. For over 70 years, they've been in captivity. If you recall, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, that was Israel altogether, they were conquered about 70 years, really about 100 years before that, the Assyrians came in and conquered the northern kingdom. And then the southern kingdom was fell to Assyria. And then Babylon, Babylonians came in and they conquered the Assyrians. And then the Media persian Empire conquered the Babylonians. And so now you have all these decades of, of time, this decade of time where the people of Israel, they're not in their own land. And so Nehemiah, he's been raised, he's been raised as a Hebrew in, in the Persian empire. But Nehemiah, he's actually, um, he's ascended in some authority. Nehemiah actually became the king's cupbearer. Now, some people would look at that and say, well, you know, what kind of a position of authority is that? We need to understand at this time, the king's cupbearer was a, a uh, um, position that was highly looked upon. They didn't just give it to anybody. They wanted somebody they could trust. They wanted somebody, as a matter of fact, they wanted somebody who had such good, a good spirit about them that they wouldn't even be negative in the king's presence because this person, the king's cupbearer, would be spending time around the king literally every waking moment that the king was up, the king's cupbearer would be around or very close to the king. And so that was Nehemiah's position. Well, Nehemiah, he's there in Susa or Shushan, the, the uh, winter palace of the media Persian Empire. And as he's there, just serving the king, kind of going through life, his brother, Hanani. Hanani travels 850 miles west to Jerusalem. Now, that would probably be Hanani's first time or maybe second time to Jerusalem. And Hanani goes on this trip with a group of men and comes back. When he gets back, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1 records all of this for us. Nehemiah says, hey, uh, Hanani, how are things going in Jerusalem? How are our people doing? 
Now remember, Nehemiah had never been there. And Hannah and I relayed to Nehemiah this horrific information when he says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, the city is, is broken down. The walls are in ruins. Nehemiah, the gates are completely destroyed and they've been burnt to the ground. And Nehemiah, even worse than that, the people are, are in affliction and they're suffering a great reproach. And as a matter of fact, Nehemiah, they're, they're a reproach even to God's name. Man, Nehemiah hears that, and, and you know the story of Nehemiah becoming burdened about that. And for four months he prayed, God, what do you want me to do? Until one day the king says to him, Nehemiah, I can see sorrow of heart in your life. There's sorrow in your life, and this is nothing more than sorrow of heart. Nehemiah, why are you sorrowful? And Nehemiah says, why shouldn't I be sorrowful? My people, my people are being they're a reproach, they're an affliction, and, and the walls of our city is broken down and destroyed. And, and Nehemiah began to pour his heart out to the king, and the king said, okay, what do you want to do about it? And Nehemiah says, I'm glad you asked. King, I'd like to get letters of permission to go. I'd like for you to send me supplies so I can build the wall. And then if you would, I'd like to set a time that I'll be gone. And the king says, okay. And Nehemiah uh, don't, don't miss the verse. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse number 8. Nehemiah, it's kind of an encapsulation of Nehemiah's thoughts about the whole thing. Here's what Nehemiah says. The king, granted to, the king granted me according to the good hand of my God, the good hand of God upon me. You know what Nehemiah said? Hey, God was at work the entire time. Can I just pause this morning and, and just tell you, don't ever underestimate the work of God in your life. You see, scenarios and scenes that you and I look at and say, man, this just doesn't make sense, right? Nehemiah could look at that and say, it doesn't make sense. Why are the walls broken down? God, why would you want to use me? God, I'm nobody. God, I'm just the, I'm just the king's cupbearer. God, I... And yet God was working the entire time. And every one of us, we need a Nehemiah 2.8 in our life. What's that mean? We need the good hand of God working in our life. And don't ever underestimate what God could be doing in your life. Don't ever underestimate what he is doing behind the scenes. And Nehemiah, along with maybe the book of Ruth and the book of Esther, great pictures of God just working behind the scenes to create something beautiful. Well, Nehemiah, he gets permission. The king sends him. And the king not only sends him with all the equipment that's needed, all the materials that are needed, letters of permission to pass through the land all the way to from Shushan to, uh, to Jerusalem. But the king also goes above and beyond and sends him his personal bodyguards. He sends a, a military entourage to escort Nehemiah back to Jerusalem. Well, Nehemiah chapters 2 and 3 record for us what takes place next. Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem. <clears throat> He scouts the city and begins to look around what needs to happen. And as he looks around and figures out what needs to happen, he doesn't tell anybody why, he, why he's there. After a few days of him being there, finally he gathers together all of the rulers of the area, the nobles among the people, and he says to them, hey, uh, here's why I'm here. And he begins to recount for them everything that God had been doing and how God had worked in the king's heart and God had brought the supplies and he begins to pour out his heart to them. And the people are so encouraged. Nehemiah chapter two, verse number 18 records for us that the people hear what God has done and they say, let us rise up and build. Man, let's do this. And so they strengthened their hands for this good work. That's what Nehemiah 2, 18 says. Man, they got, they got on board. And Nehemiah chapter 3 records for us an incredible group of people 
who were probably at that time felt insignificant, unimportant, and overlooked, and yet God recorded their name. Why? Because they joined up with God and did something greater than themselves. And in Nehemiah chapter number three, you have carpenters and you have uh, uh, masons and you have apothecaries or pharmacists and doctors. You have uh, uh, um, different people who work with uh, different metals and goldsmiths and all of that stuff. And what are they doing? They're building a wall. Why? Because when Nehemiah came to him, he told him, hey, it's not about the wall. It's about the people. It's about you and it's about me and, and it's about God's name. And listen, if the walls are broken down, that, that's a reflection on our God. We don't want that to happen, so let's build up the wall. And the people, they embrace that cause. Well, things were going smooth until last week. <laughs> Why? What happened last week? Nehemiah chapter four. Remember, there were some enemies that came on the scene. Samballot and, and Tobiah and the Ashdodites and the Ammonites and the Arabians and all these groups of people that began to oppose the work of God. And if you were here last week, we gave you a quote by one old preacher when he said this, if you have not met the devil today, you're probably heading in the same direction. And we talked about the simple fact that anytime you step out by faith for God, the devil's gonna attack. And isn't it funny that on Sunday mornings, it's the hardest time to get ready? I'll be honest about my life. Sunday mornings are the hardest day to wake up. They always are. Every week, it's like, I mean, I, it, I could sleep in on a, on, you know, sometimes I'll take a, a Saturday morning off a little bit. And you know what? Yesterday, I, took, I was going to take Saturday morning off. I was going to sleep in. It didn't happen. It's 6.50, and I was like, ding. Some of you are like, that is sleeping in. Not for me. <laughs> for me, 6.50 is early. I didn't even know there was two 6.30s in a day until we started having to take kids to school, you know? I'm just teasing. You know what? Listen, I, I, for, for me, Sundays are the worst. And you know why? Man, it's because this old flesh knows that you're going to go to church and receive the word and be encouraged and strengthened. You know what? Whenever you and I take a step of faith for God, the devil opposes us. And that's what happened in Nehemiah chapter number four. And so last week we learned, what do we do when opposition comes? Well, what did they do? Well, they went to God in prayer. Remember, Nehemiah said, well, we just went to God. Opposition came. Discouragement came. We just went to God. What else did they do? They kept doing what they could. Man, they, they just kept building. Every time discouragement came, it says we prayed, and then we got back to work. And then what else did they do? They didn't get sidetracked. They remembered, hey, there's a great cause on the line. We can't stop building. And I want to just recall for us and remind us that in your life, the cause of Jesus Christ is worth building your life towards him. It's worth the faith steps. Your family is watching. Your kids need you. Your grandkids need you. Your coworkers need you. Your loved ones, they need you. Your church family, we need you. As a pastor, listen, your friend, I need you. Why? Because the cause is worth building for. This week, this week, we're going to continue in Nehemiah chapter number five. We're actually going to, in just a minute, I'm going to read the entire chapter. Now, it doesn't have a lot of confusing names like chapter three did, just so you know. But I want us to get an overview of everything that takes place. But before we get started, I want to ask you the question that is the title of today's message. The question is this, how's your view? How's your view? 
Don't you know that view, our view affects everything, doesn't it? Our view affects everything. Think about this. <clears throat> Let's have the illustration of two couples. Two couples, they're going to go on a vacation together, and, and uh, they're going to go to Hawaii. They're going to go to Hawaii or Mexico. Think of some tropical place. They're going to go to Jamaica. And as they get there, the first couple, they get to their room. Both couples, they're on the fourth floor of the hotel. And that first couple, they get to their room and they open the curtains. And man, it is a majestic view. It's that view where you can see, you can see the, the, the ocean. You can see the way, you can almost hear the roar of the ocean crashing in. You can, see the, you can see the sand. You can see it so well that you can almost see footprints through the sand. And you can see some folks down there uh, maybe playing volleyball. And you see some kids throwing the Frisbee. And man, there's palm trees. And right outside of your window, you can hear the birds. How many of you are there right now? Man, you're just looking. Oh, man, yeah. Pastor, let's go. Church field trip. Man, they're there, and you know what? You know what that couple thinks? Man, we could stay right here the entire trip. What an incredible view. They pick up the phone. They call the other couple. They go, man, what a room. You guys like the room? I say, yeah, it's a great room, man. Hey, did you guys look? Check out your view. How's your view? And that couple goes, and they're, you know, they're getting excited because the, as they're going, the, the other couple said, oh, we can see the beach, we can hear the waves. Oh, man, well, you see that bird? And they're, they're kind of explaining their view, and that couple goes, and they open their window only, only to see the next building over. <laughs> their view is the next building. Couple A has a beautiful view. Couple B has the next building over. I would venture to say that couple A is probably going to enjoy their room a little bit more than couple B. <laughs> Why? Because your view affects a lot. <clears throat> How many of you have done those race car games? My dad, growing up, we would always do those race car games. You ever watched a little kid do the race car games? Number one, their feet can't even get to the pedal. So they have to scoot way down. But when they scoot, they scoot way down, they can't see over the steering wheel. So it's either I can see and not go anywhere or I can do the guess and just hope for the best. You know what? You put those little kids on one of those, on one of those race car games. Most of the time, they're going to go for the gas. I don't care what I can see. Let's just do something. You know what happens? They usually hit everything and everybody. Some of you are still like that. I'm sorry. That was bad. I don't, don't tell Carlos I said that. Okay, don't. Just don't tell him I said that. You know what? Sometimes man, you, those little kids, they get in there and they can't see over that steering wheel. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to hit people. They're going to hit every building. They're going to pop every fire hydrant. Man, they are not, the game is not going to go well for them. Why? Because your view affects everything. I want to give you a very simple statement this morning and then we're going to cruise through the passage. The statement is this. If your view of God is not right, it affects your entire Christian life. If your view of God is not right, if it's not what it needs to be, if you are not seeing God for who he is and your relationship with him, your Christian life 
is going to be affected. As a matter of fact, you're going to be like that little kid trying to steer. If your view's off, you're going to hit some things. If your view of God is off, there's going to be some things that are destroyed in your life. If your view of God is off, there are going to be some people who are hurt because of your driving. When your view gets off, everything is affected. Nehemiah chapter 5. I'm not going to have you stand this morning because we're going to read the whole chapter. It's 19 verses. I'll try to read through it quickly and then we will jump right into the message. Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. There was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. Stop right there, very quickly. Last chapter, there was a great cry of the people. Why? Because of outside sources. Outside people were the opposition. Then halfway through, they themselves were discouraged. But now, now, Nehemiah chapter 5 and verse number 1, what's the cry about? The cry is about... It's against their kinsmen. It's against their brethren. It's against those that are co-laborers. Well, what's the cry? What's the, what's the frustration? Here's why. Verse number two. For there were that said, we are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore, we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Man, there's not enough food to go around. There's a lot of people and we're hurting for food. Some also there were some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy, buy corn because of the dearth. They said, it's so bad that we've, we've literally sold our property just so that we can have food. We've mortgaged our lands, got a second mortgage and third mortgage and fourth mortgage just so we can provide. There were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought uh, unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Nehemiah, he's coming on the scene and people are coming to him with all of these problems. The problems are that, well, we have a lot of people to feed. The problems are, well, there's a shortage of food, so we've had to mortgage our land, and we can't pay taxes, so we've had to borrow on that money to pay our taxes. But on top of that, the worst of all is that our own people are taking advantage of us. Our own people are buying our sons, and our, we're having to sell our kids into service so that we can simply survive. Verse number six. Nehemiah writes, and I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. Then I, if you underline in your Bible, underline the next phrase. Then I consulted with myself. This is a total side note. It's not even in my notes. I just want to say it. You know what would do some of us good when we get a little short-tempered about something? Uh, consult with yourself. You know what Nehemiah is saying? Hey, I paused and I thought, how am I going to deal with this? And Nehemiah's anger did not turn into sin. It actually turned into a righteous zeal for God. And we're going to see that 
as the chapter continues. Then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. And I said unto them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother. And I, Nehemiah, I set a great assembly against them. I gathered all the people together. And I called all the people together, and I said unto them, We, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. Hey, I've bought the Jews before. I've I've bought those that were slaves. And will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. Also I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? I likewise and my brethren and my servants, we might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Let's stop this. Restore, I pray you, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, um, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money, the, the interest that you've been charging, and of the corn and the wine and the oil that ye exact of them. Then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Also, I, I shook my lap. This is a, a sign of, of, um, of the oath saying, I, I stood up and I shook my lap, dusted off the coat, and I said, if you don't do this, then so, so do God. Look at the next part. So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise. Even thus shall he be shaken out and empty. And notice, all the congregation, they said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people, they did according to this promise. Moreover, from that time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even until the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes the king, that is 12 years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor. But the former governors that had been before me, they were chargeable unto the people. And had taken of them bread and wine beside 40 shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I. Why? Because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continued in the work of this wall. Neither bought we any land, and all my servants were gathered, to, gathered thither unto the work. Moreover, there were at my table an hundred and fifty of the Jews and rulers beside those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. Now, that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Hey, our house ate a lot of food. I was feeding 150 plus people. Also, fowls were prepared for me. And once in 10 days, a store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor. I never taxed the people for this because the bondage was heavy upon the people. And then he closes verse 19. Think upon me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. I love Nehemiah chapter number five. There is truly a lot that takes place. We're gonna, I'm gonna do the message a little bit different this morning in the sense that I'm gonna kind of tell you the story. We're gonna walk through Nehemiah chapter number five and then we're going to break it down to look at this one simple truth. My view of God 
affects every other area of my life. How you view God is going to affect every other area of your life. We're going to see four specific areas this morning that our view of God affects from our passage. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time, and then we'll jump into it. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, why don't you take a minute? And would you ask God to speak to you today? You can pray something simple. Dear God, please speak to me. Dear God, please speak to me. And then make a commitment. God, if you speak to me today, I'm listening and I'll respond to you. Dear Lord, we just come before you and thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you use it. Thank you, God, for how you're going to use it this morning. And I pray today that you would speak to each of our hearts. I pray, God, that as we go through the message this morning, that you would challenge us, that we would be receptive to your word. God, I just want to humble my mind and my heart to you today. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, and I pray that you'd speak to me. Lord, I want to have a right view of you. I want to have a right reverence for you and an awe of who you are and a love for who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would help us today to be challenged by your word. If there's someone that is here or with us online that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity. They don't know that their sins are forgiven. They don't know that you are in their life. I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you come to Nehemiah chapter number five, as I stated just a moment ago, Nehemiah begins to recall for us a number of circumstances that now the people are facing. What are the people facing now? Well, not, not only have they been facing and are they continuing to face that outside opposition, not only do they have a little bit of discouragement like we read in, in Nehemiah chapter number four, but now they're coming to the place where the people come and say, hey, we've got some situations and some things, Nehemiah, that you need to know about. Now, remember, Nehemiah at this point in Nehemiah chapter five, at this point in the chronological order of events, Nehemiah has only been there for probably maybe a month, maybe six weeks. He hasn't been there very long. We know that he was there for about a week, and then he spoke to the people, and then they began to gather things, and then they began to build. So we know that really Nehemiah, he's, he's, kind, of the, he's kind of the new guy on the territory, so to speak. And when he gets there, he doesn't know about all these things taking place. And so some people come to him, and there's different groups of people. We're not going to go back and read all the verses, just kind of recap. The first group comes, and they say, Nehemiah, we're struggling financially, man. How many of us can relate? Just kidding. Don't, don't raise your hand. Probably all of us say, oh, we're struggling financially. You know what? In the light of things, man, we are a very wealthy people, and be thankful for the things we do have, but we can join in with them. Man, we're struggling financially. The economy, this is what they're saying. The economy's not too good. We're, we're struggling for food. We can barely feed our families. I would ask if you can relate with that because you have teenagers in the home. So, uh, you know what? He says, they, they say, we're, we're complaining. We're, we're just coming to you because we're, we're frustrated. We can barely survive. The next group comes and they says, yeah, things are so bad. We've mortgaged our lands just to make food, just, just to get food. The next group comes and they say, yeah, we actually have to even borrow money to pay our taxes. Taxes are so bad, we have to borrow money. But the real problem, the real problem when they all get together, they all agree the real problem is this. Things are so bad, Nehemiah, 
that there are other Jews that are taking advantage of our situation. There are other Jews that are saying, oh, we'll help you sell your son or your daughter into servanthood. Sell your son or your daughter to become our servants or to become our slaves. Now, the people of Israel knew better. God had actually instructed them, hey, this ought not be. In Deuteronomy, he said, hey, you're not going to buy servants of your own people. You're never, never going to do that. Uh, this should be people that you are co-laborers with, not that you see as a, as a stepping stone to boost your economy, to boost you up. And yet they were exacting usury. They were charging interest, and they were taking their kids, taking their, their own family, their own cousins, and their own nephews, and their own nieces, and hiring them into service, not hiring Hiring them for a paycheck, but saying, okay, if you'll give me your son for service, I'll, get, I'll provide you food. Basically kind of making that trade. And the rulers, the people said, the rulers and those that are wealthy, they're taking advantage of our poverty. They're loaning us money, but then on top of that, they're taking our kids into service. It's bad enough that we have to deal with the economy, Nehemiah. It's bad enough that we have to struggle for food. It's bad enough that we have the taxation of the Persian Empire. I mean, we understand all of that, but what we don't understand is why are they taking advantage of us? What we don't understand is why are the people, our own people, abusing this situation? Well, Nehemiah, what he does is he considers the situation and he goes to the source and he confronts those who are doing this. He calls them out on it. And he encourages them to get it right. Nehemiah says, I want you to restore that which you've taken, the, the usury or the interest that you've charged. I want you to pay that back. And then release all the slaves, the sons and daughters. Just release them back. Give them to their family because what you are doing, it is not good. Hey, we belong to the Lord. We don't do that. God doesn't want us to do that. This does not represent the Lord well. And then he begins to highlight his own example. And Nehemiah is not doing this in a boastful way. He's simply saying, he says, hey, I've even freed, I've freed slaves that were Jews. And since I've been here, I haven't taxed you at all. I've been leading this whole thing. But for these weeks, I haven't, I haven't put any tax or anything on, any hardship on you. Hey, listen, you need to know that it is, it is uh, you, you are able to not exact usury. You are able to live in peace. You are able to not uh, live and, and uh, not get along. It can happen. You can get along. And Nehemiah, I love what he says when he says, I have paid for the Jews that were under bondage of the heathen. Nehemiah was saying, hey, I've, I've taken out of my own pocket to redeem our people. He had paid out of his own pocket to pay the other people's bills that they couldn't pay and redeemed what they themselves could not redeem. What a great picture of Jesus. You see, when you couldn't pay your bill, Jesus paid it. When you couldn't pay your debt, Jesus paid it. When you couldn't redeem yourself, he redeemed you. And he died on the cross for our sins. What a, what a great picture in Jesus paying our bill on the cross of Calvary. Well, Nehemiah says, I've I've paid the bill, and so I'm going to challenge you guys to get it right. And so they get it right. The people make, make the oath, and they get it right. And then when you go to Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 19, it's really uh, what we would call an addendum. It's something added in years later. 
And what's added in is Nehemiah comes back and writes in, from that time, for 12 years, for 12 years, I, I instructed and led the people that we don't need to take advantage of each other. I'm not gonna tax you. I'm not gonna give you interest. I'll feed my families. You feed your families. God will provide for us to take care. And Nehemiah basically saying, hey, for 12 years, we continued building. For 12 years, we didn't take advantage of each other. For 12 years, we encouraged the people to meet the needs of others in a selfless and giving way. And so we find Nehemiah chapter number five, what's kind of the short summary. You find God's people taking advantage of others. You find God's people missing out on healthy relationships. And the fact of the matter is you find God's people living as a bad testimony of God to others. On the other hand, you find Nehemiah saying, here's an example of how not to do that. But what was the difference? What was the difference maker? Why was Nehemiah not taking advantage when he could have been and the others taking advantage when they should not have been? I find two key verses that all of this flows from in this chapter. First is Nehemiah 5.9 when Nehemiah says, it is not good that ye do. Hey, what you're doing is not good. Why? Ought ye not to walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies. You know, Nehemiah says in this verse, hey, what you're doing isn't good. Why? Because you should live with a higher reverence for God and a care about how the enemies perceive him. Another key verse, Nehemiah 5.15. Nehemiah writes this, but the former governors that had been before me were chargeable into the people. They taxed the people and had taken of them bread and wine beside 40 shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But notice what he says. But so did not I. Well, why, Nehemiah? Why didn't you tax them? Why didn't you uh, take advantage of others? Because of the fear of God. You know, we find here, we find described the fear of God, listed twice, verse number nine and verse number 15. Well, what is this fear talking about? Well, the word fear described here, it means a reverence or a respect for God. This is not fear as in the sense of terror. This is fear in the sense of awe or respect. You want to know why Nehemiah, excuse me, you want to know what Nehemiah is trying to get across to the people in this chapter as they bring him this complaint and he realizes people are taking advantage of others and he realizes, man, there's a whole group of people that are sinning through, uh, against God they, and he realizes there's a whole group of people that are giving God a bad name. You want to know what Nehemiah tries to get across to them? He tries to get across to them simply this, that if you had a right view of God, it would change how you're living. If you had a right view of God, it would change how you're treating others. If you had a right view of God, it would change what other people think about your God. If you had a right view of God, it will change if you continue down that line or if you continue down the line of serving God and living for him. For the next few minutes, I want us to understand just that thought that we said a moment ago that our view of God is going to affect everything in our life. So knowing the story that surrounds Nehemiah 5, I want you to take your Bible with me and I want you to notice what the view, our view of God affects in our life. 
I see, first of all, today that the right view of God affects how we view others. Our view of God, it affects how we view other people. As Nehemiah calls out the sin of those in the wrong, he says to them in that verse we stated a moment ago in verse number nine, he says to them, what you're doing isn't good. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God? Hey, your view of God is wrong in this. Throughout the challenge that Nehemiah would give to them, he would say to them, hey, we belong to the Lord, and as people of God, this is not how we treat others. You see, what you are doing is not good. Why? Because you belong to the Lord. When he tells them, ought we not to fear or to walk in the fear of God, he's calling to remembrance what they know to be true about God. Hey, do you remember what God's done for you? Hey, do you remember that God brought our people into this land? Hey, do you remember Jehovah God, the one whom we serve and the one whom we've been desperate to get back to this land for years? Do you remember that God? Because if you were thinking about him, you wouldn't be treating them this way. If you were thinking about God and if you had a right uh, perception of God, you would not be treating your, your family this way. He says to them, hey, did you ever think about looking up? I mean, you're not living in the fear of God and you're not practicing his presence. You're not thinking about him and you're not thinking what he would want. You have a wrong view of God and so you have a wrong view of others. You have wrong relationships. And Nehemiah, he has a righteous anger over this. Well, what's he angry about? He's angry because the people had a wrong view of God and they were not being what God had intended them to be. They were not loving others like God had intended them to love others. And he was angered about this. Well, why? Because they were viewing people as stepping stones to their destination instead of co-laborers who were traveling with them. And can I say today that when our view of God is skewed, we see people as stepping stones to help us reach our goals and our destination instead of seeing them as co-laborers for God's glory. You see, we too can see other people as someone to just benefit us. Oh, we don't, we don't say that consciously, but we all know the relationships when we treat somebody, especially fellow believers, we treat them as somebody that we're trying to get something from rather than be something too. So the statement is true that when we have the wrong view of God, we will have a wrong view of others, but the contrary is also true. When we have a right view of God, we'll have a right view of others. We begin to love people like Jesus loved them. We begin to make sacrifices and giving to people like Jesus did. And uh, I want us to know, and we talk about this a lot at our church, but the major focus of, of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, there are so many verses encouraging Christians to love other Christians. Oh, we're to have a love for the lost and people who don't know Jesus Christ. But that, this is what Jesus said. He said, hey, by your love towards one another, others are going to know that you're my disciples. I've been studying 1 John this month in my time with the Lord, and a verse that really stood out to me last couple days is 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, when it said this, herein is love. Hey, let me show you real love. Not that we loved God, 
But real love is that he loved us. And he showed it. He sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. And then John writes this. Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us in that manner, we ought also to love one another. We ought also to to love one another. You know what? When we remember and reflect upon the love that we've been given, we are more likely to love others. And our view of God, it affects how we view others. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but have you ever had somebody accuse you of something and they were right? You know, you're talking with, all right, talking with your spouse. Sorry, hon. And your spouse says to you, you can be so rude to me sometimes. And you want to go, yeah, well, you're rude to me. (laughs) But as soon as you go to open your mouth, you know they're right. Maybe you have a coworker that says, man, you, you talk about the Lord so much, but here at work, like, you're such a jerk at work. And you go, You're a jerk at work. But inside, you know they're right. You know what? Those times, do you know it's probably, you know it's probably the truth? I haven't been looking up. Because I become short with others when I'm not looking at him. I become the jerk to work with when I'm not looking at him. I become the husband that's short-sighted. I become the the dad that that is uh, inwardly focused. Why? Because my view of God, it affects how I view other people. And when I'm viewing him correctly, I don't see people as stepping stones to my destination. I see them as co-laborers working together for the glory of God. Did you know in the church, sometimes we can be guilty of seeing other church members and church family as stepping stones? And we can, and, and even as a pastor, Even as a pastor, I know I'm guilty of it. There can be times I can see our church family and us as people. I can see maybe even the staff as, hey, you need to do this to help us get to this destination. And as a stepping stone, kind of just trample on that relationship. And you know what we need to do? We need to step back and say, God, help me to view you correctly. Why? Because when I have a reverence of you, it affects how I view others. Notice number two, our view of God our view of God, it affects how others view God. It affects how others view God. Notice in our passage, verse number nine, <clears throat> the verse we said a moment ago, also I said, it is not good that ye do, ought ye not to walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies. You know, Nehemiah is saying to them, what you are actually doing, what you are doing by exacting usury and by mistreating your fellow, uh, your fellow Jewish people and your fellow Jews, what you are doing is you are actually bringing a reproach upon God. 
You're actually giving the enemies of God a reason to look shamefully upon your God. You are dishonoring the name of God. That's what he's saying to them. Hey, are you not to walk in the fear of God? Why? Because the enemies of God are looking at you and you are a reproach. Your enemies are looking at you and they are saying, if they serve God, I don't want that God. Who would want to honor a God whose people do that? This is one of the reasons that Nehemiah had come back to Jerusalem in the first place was that God's name was being disgraced. And here the people are actually bringing a bad name to their God. And because they had a wrong view of God, it affected how others were viewing their God as well. And he says to them, hey, you're not only hurting people, but you are hurting the cause of our God. You are hurting the very thing we are doing. Hey, remember, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is not about a wall. The book of Nehemiah is about God and his name and his people. And that was Nehemiah calling them back to this and saying, hey, listen, if you had a right view of God, you would help others have a right view of God. But since you don't have a right view of God and other people, you're, you're giving God a bad name. Now, what a convicting thought. The fact of the matter is that when I have a wrong view of God, it can actually cause others to have a negativity toward God. When you and I have a wrong view of God, it causes other people to look at God negatively. Think about this. How many times has someone said, I don't want to be at that church because I know so-and-so goes to that church. And if that's a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't know if you've been around church for any length of time. Many of you, our church is all you know and and I hope that this has never happened in our church, but I know that having been raised in ministry and been a, a part of churches, but then also, uh, I, don't, I don't preach out much, but having opportunity to preach out over the years in, in a couple hundred churches, I can tell you right now that there are some churches that I would never go to. Why? Because I watch how people treat each other. There's some churches that I would, if they ask me, hey, would you want to come preach? I'd, I'd say, yeah, I'm going to come preach, but I'm not staying long. You say, why, pastor? Because I watch how other people treat others within that church. And in my mind, I'm like, man, if that's what that's like, I don't want to be there. And I pray our church, I'm, I'm so thankful for the spirit of Moses Lake Baptist Church. I, I don't feel like we have that. If you've been mistreated or anything, I, I hope you'd come tell me because I Bless God. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Man, no, listen, because I don't want that to be the story of our church, but that's the story of so many places. And I just want to hear my parents laugh right now. I just, and my mom snorts. You're going to hear it again. Three, two, one. Yeah, never mind. You know what? Listen, the truth is that if I have a, if I have a wrong view of God, if I have a wrong view of God, it's going to affect how I view others, but then it's also going to affect how other people look at my God. And when you and I go to work this week, and your view of God is off, and you're not thinking about him, and so you're short-tempered, and you're not thinking about him, and so 
I'm sorry if I'm stepping on anyone's toes, but I'm going to say it. You're not thinking about him, and so you call in sick when you're not sick, and your coworkers know it. You're not thinking about him, and when you go to work, you, you're a little, you know, unethical in the sense of you're clocking in a little late but telling your boss you're on time and clocking out a little early but getting paid for the time that you aren't working. And, and again, if your work has privileges like that, I'm not trying to walk on that. Please understand, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or anything this morning. I just want to say, if there's a lot of those little things, all those little things add up on how, our, how people view our God. And, and I know when I'm out in the community, and many of you know, I, I love to go to coffee shops and study. And, and, and unfortunately, there's times that I've been at a coffee shop and, and studying and someone tries to talk with me and I'm kind of short with them because I'm kind of in the, in the moment of study and they're doing something. And I'm like, well, just, uh, and then I have to rewind. <laughs> hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I told, hey, what, what, what were you trying to say? I don't ever want to be short with, I don't want to ever give my God a bad name. When I'm viewing him correctly, you know what's going to happen? It's going to help others view him positively as well. That statement, and one man said it, I said it a second ago, but who wants to honor a God whose people do this? That's what Nehemiah was saying to him. I have on my notes after I heard that statement, I have, wow, that's good. (laughs) You know why? Because... We need to understand this morning how we view God affects how others view God. How we view God, it affects how we view others. It affects how others view God, but then also it affects how we view sin. Our view of God affects our perception about our life and sin within our life. You know what was going on, and I, for time's sake, we won't go through all of this, but for time's sake, the people, they, they didn't even realize what they were doing was sin. Hey, you're exacting usury. Hey, you're doing this. Hey, hey, nobles, what are you guys even thinking? Ought you not to fear God? You're a reproach to other people. Hey, what you're doing is wrong. And Nehemiah had to literally bring it to their attention. And you know what they did? They went, oh, you're right. Nehemiah 5.12, then said they, we will restore them and require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. You know what they did? They had been excusing their sin. They had been passing right over their sin. They had been neglecting dealing with their sin. Why? Because they didn't even see it as sin. Well, why didn't they see it as sin? Because they weren't in the right view of God. They didn't have the right view of God. They said, we get it. We've sinned. We'll, we'll make it right. Nehemiah calls the priests and the people uh, all there, those that were wronged. And he says, all right, the nobles are going to get it right. And all the people say, amen. And then they praise God together. He says to them, God is watching. And if you don't do this, God's going to judge you. And they're finally getting sin right in their life. The truth that we need to know this morning is how we view God affects how we view sin. And when, we, when our view of God is off, we don't see sin as bad. We justify sin in our life and we excuse sin in our life. And we, we say, well, that's just my personality. And well, my dad was this way. And well, I was raised this way, so it gives me an excuse to do this. And well, it's not that bad. Well, it's just one time. And the fact of the matter is that we become just like somebody who doesn't know the Lord because we make ourselves the authority in our life. And we say, well, I say it's not that bad. Well, why are we doing that? Because our view of God is off. 
And then we compare ourselves with others. We live by our own rules and our own boundaries, and we say, well, I'm not as bad as. Well, I didn't do it like. Well, I don't talk like. And then we look outward. You know what we need to do? We need to step back and look upward. (laughs) We need to understand that sin is not something to be embraced and excused. It is something to be hated and avoided. Listen, sin will ruin our life. First John 3, verses 4 through 6, John said this, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is a transgression breaking the law. And ye know, hey, hey, you know that he was manifested, he was made known to take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So whosoever abideth, whosoever at home in him sinneth not. You know, John was saying, hey, listen, when you get a glimpse of what he did, when you realize he was made known, he came to this earth and he, he died for our sin. And so I don't want to commit sin. Why? Because he died it. And the very sin that I commit is what nailed Jesus to the cross. And my friend, I wonder what would happen today in our country and what would happen in, in our state, what would happen in our city, what would happen in your home if you got a glimpse of who God was and said, I don't want that sin in my life anymore. I'm not going to think like that. I'm not going to talk like that. That. We're not going to watch that anymore. Hey, we're not going to treat others like that. Why? Because it's sin against our holy God. And I'm not saying, oh, well, hopefully I sin, don't sin enough and then maybe God will love me more. No, 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 no. I have a reflection. This is what John is talking about. His love was made known to me. And when I reflect upon how much he loves me, I say, God, I want to love you back. How can I love you? Oh, by abstaining from sin. How can I love you? By letting you, through your power, give me the ability to say no to the flesh and no to the devil and no to the pride that is in my life. What in your life would change if you got a right view of God? You know what would change? Your view of sin would change. My view of sin would change. And I'm telling you right now, we can look at our country and we can talk about politics and I'm very involved in all of that. We can look at our country and we can talk about uh, the attack against, against religious liberties and we can look at our country and we can talk about the, the sin within the school system and we can, we can look at all of these things and we can uh, pick it all apart. But at the end of the day, man, believers need to start looking at sin and say, no, that's not going to be in my life. Well, why? Because I love him. I don't, I don't not sin because I'm scared of him. I, I don't sin because I love him. I don't not cheat on my wife because I'm scared that she's going to punch me. She would. But that's not why. You know why? It's because I love my wife. I'm not going to set my eyes upon another woman, not, not because I'm afraid that Hannah is going to walk up and slap me and kick me and hurt me. No, because I love her. And you know what? Some of us need to get a view of God that says, God, I love you. I'm not just scared of you. You're not a, a God that's waiting in heaven for me to mess up and about to pull that belt out and just whip me. No, you're a God that says, I stretched out my arms and I died on the cross for you. Get a right view of God and you will begin to love me and get that sin out of your life. Oh, I hope this morning it's connecting, resonating with us. You know what they were doing in Nehemiah? They just didn't care. Why? Wrong view of God. Wrong view of God. My view of God, it'll affect everything. You know what? When they got a right view of God and a right view of their sin, I love what verse 13 says. I'll say it will be to our last point and done. 
Now they're in unity. Now they're all on the same page. And you know what happened? They said amen, and they praised the Lord. Hey, real praise doesn't take place until there's unity. Real praise doesn't take place until the sin is seen and repented of. The relationships with others is seen and my view is focused back upon him. I see this morning they got a right view of God. Why? Because our, God, our view of God, it affects everything. What's it affect? It affects how we view others. It affects how, we view, how others view God. It affects how we view sin. And lastly today, it affects how and if we continue. very briefly, verse number 15, when he says why he didn't tax the people and why he continued building the wall. Notice what he says, because of the reverence of God. Hey, because I love him and because I'm in awe of him, because I respect him, I continued for him. I wonder, is that gonna be able to be said of you? Is that gonna be able to be said of me? Because when I have the right view of God, it helps me choose who to follow. Or I should say how to follow, it corrected. Helps me choose how to follow and serve today. When I view him correctly, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm seeing God for who he is and the reverence and the respect and the love and the fact that he was made known to me and died on the cross for my sin. And when I do that, I say, God, I want to live for you today. And one man said that all of our days add up. And all your days equal years, and all your years equal decades, and all your decades equals your life. You're going to get to the end of your life and look back and say, man, I live for him. Do it today. It starts today. Well, how do I do it? Get a right view of him. And my view of God affects everything. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.